Good morning. Please turn to Acts 24. Acts chapter 24. It's so nice being able to sit back and hear someone else do music. Last week, we looked at Claudius Lysias. Remember, he was the commander of the garrison at Jerusalem. This week, we'll be looking at Felix, who's the governor of Judea. Now, we know a lot about this man from secular history. Now, I don't profess to be a Roman scholar or a scholar of Roman times. I do profess myself, though, to be an expert on looking online and looking up information. (laughs) So if I throw the name Tacitus out there, please don't think that I'm trying to sound extra intelligent. However, Tacitus says about Felix that Felix indulged in every kind of cruelty and immorality, wielding a king's authority with all the instincts of a slave. Kind of scathing. We know that Felix, at the time of this passage, was married to his second of three wives. He had already divorced his previous wife and was on to wife number two. Crime greatly increased in Judea during his rule. And apparently the Jewish zealots um, had some revolts during his time, and he ruthlessly put those down. But he also used other Jewish zealots for his own purposes. I don't know if anyone in here has heard of the, am I pronouncing it right? No, what? Sicari? S-I-C-A-R-I? The dudes with the daggers. Okay. I think the answer is no, I'm not pronouncing it correct. Bottom line is there were some zealots who used knives. They were known for carrying daggers and for stabbing people. Interesting thing to be known for. Felix made use of them for his own purposes, for assassination. So that gives you an idea of the guy. However, this morning we're going to be looking at an event in his life that's not recorded anywhere but in the book of Acts. It's not a subject that historians would find that interesting. So, as you'll remember... Paul was almost lynched by the Jews when Paul came into the temple. And then the Roman commander comes in, you know, captures Paul, thinks that he's captured this great rebel leader. Turns out that Paul's a Roman citizen. Turns out that there's a question of the Jews and their law and Christianity, and it's too much for Claudius Lysias. He says, I'm not even going to think about it. I'm just going to send you to the governor at Judea, and we'll let him take care of it. So he sends Paul to the governor, who's Felix. And so we're not going to read it, but the Jews present their case to Felix. You know, he's a crook. That's why we were having, you know, this uprising and everything. You'll see it when you've examined him. Just trust us. And then Paul presents his case before Felix. And that's where we're going to pick up. So Acts chapter 24, we'll look at verse 22. This is right after Paul has finished talking. But when Felix heard these things, having more accurate knowledge of the way, he adjourned the proceedings and said, when Lysias the commander comes down, I will make a decision on your case. So he commanded the centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty and told him not to forbid any of his friends to, not to forbid any of his friends to provide for or visit him. And after some days, when Felix came with his wife Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and hurt him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, 
Felix was afraid. It answered, go away for now, and when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he also hoped that money would be given him by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent for him more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. A little episode. Like I, I mean, you can see looking at it, it's not something that historians are going to find that interesting. So we read that Felix had more accurate knowledge of the way. It's interesting. This guy's a Roman. Um, he's, he's got a Jewish wife, but he's definitely some Roman governor. And yet at the same time, he knows enough about what the Jews say that he can tell what they're saying is wrong. He has more accurate knowledge of Christianity. Lysias didn't. He said, I have no idea what to do. I'm just going to you know, give him to Felix and see what Felix can do. But Felix had more accurate knowledge of the way. I wonder how much he knew. I wonder what he heard. So he's evidently done some research. I mean, he, this is more than a passing interest we're talking about in Christianity. He has more accurate knowledge of the way. And to show how interested he is, not only does he have more accurate knowledge, but then he asks for a private interview with Paul. Definitely shows some sort of an interest. I don't know, like I said, how much he knew, but he was interested enough to hear more. It's interesting also that he could tell from Paul's defense that Paul was someone who could tell him about the way. Let's be honest. It was not the most comfortable moment for Paul. He's standing before the governor who has power of life and death, among other things. And Paul is probably ticked off at the Jews. I mean, I would be. But at the same time, he maintains his witness in front of the governor, enough so that the governor, after just hearing Paul's defense and hearing what the Jews say about him, calls Paul for a private interview to explain to him more about this. He can tell that much about Paul, that Paul is a real Christian, that Paul really has a deep relationship. Well, he probably can't tell it's a relationship with the Lord, but he can tell there's something different about Paul. Can people tell the same about us? When we get into those awkward situations at work, at school, Maybe with those teachers who are really a pain, who don't understand you, with the coworker who, for no reason, does something stupid, and you get frustrated. Can people tell the same about us, that they'd be able to call us for a more accurate understanding of the way? So we read that Felix heard him concerning the faith in Christ. So Felix wants to hear about Christianity. Now, let's be honest. Felix didn't come and say, could you please share the gospel with me? I want to get saved. He wants to hear about Christianity. It says he heard him concerning the faith in Christ. I don't know, maybe he had in mind an intellectual discussion. Maybe he wanted to hear an overview of the major Christian doctrines. You know, uh, this is what we believe about this, and then we believe this, and that's kind of what we're about, Felix. Now, let's be honest. Paul could do that. I mean, he's the guy that wrote the pastoral epistles. He's the guy that wrote all the stuff we've been studying. He knows. He's very, very up-to-date, as it were, with all that information. And it would make Felix happy. Paul wants to get released, and I'm sure he does. Well, it would appear he does. But that's not what Felix needs as a person. Felix needs to get saved. 
Let's be honest. Felix is the governor of Judea, yeah, and he has a lot of power, but at the same time, he's a human being who needs to get saved. And so Paul doesn't look on him as someone that he can use. Someone that, you know, if, if I say things right, he'll let me out, and you know, then I'll be able to share the gospel more. So I need to make this guy happy. No, he looks on Felix as someone that he can serve, someone he can share the gospel with. And so rather than giving Felix this overview of Christianity, he reasons about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. That's what Felix needs to hear about. We'll get into that in a minute. But that's the important thing. Felix doesn't know that he needs to be saved, let's be honest. Think of yourself before you got saved. Did you know when you were getting witness to that first time that you needed to get saved? Yeah, yeah. Felix doesn't know that. He's blind. He doesn't know what's important to talk about, but Paul does. Paul's not going to be put in the situation of being led by someone who's blind, of the blind leading the seeing. And neither should we. Paul does know what's important. And, and it's not like Paul's going to be rude here. You know, Felix, you want to talk about this, but let me set you straight. This is what we've got to talk about. And it's just because this is what I want to talk about. No, of course it's not rude. But it's a matter of, this is, Felix, look, I care about you, and you need to hear this. It's much more important. If you really understood, if you could see, you would want to talk about this. So let's talk about this. Jesus did the same thing. Think about Nicodemus. Well, Lord, we, we know that you're a teacher come from God, and we just kind of want to, you know, have a spiritual discussion here. And what does Jesus say? Assuredly, I say to you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That is not what Nicodemus asked for. That's what Nicodemus needed to hear. It has nothing to do with, you know, I'm this great teacher of Israel and we're going to kind of talk about teaching. No. Jesus was guiding the conversation. The woman at the well. Well, you know, the woman says to him, you're a Jew and you're asking a drink of me, a Samaritan woman. What's with all the ethics here? And Jesus says, look, I'll give you living water. She was going to talk about this. The Lord draws it over to what's important for her to hear. I'm going to give you living water. I can give you eternal life. The Lord's guiding the conversation. Similarly with Felix. Paul's guiding the conversation and he's reasoning about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. It's interesting. It says that he reasoned. I love, I'm never going to forget Pam Hicks, my old voice teacher, saying to me, well, isn't that part of the thing about faith that it's blind, that you don't know what it's about? I know. No, Paul reasoned. Uh, Peter says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. It's very reasonable. Paul's presenting it in a reasonable way to Felix. You can look at it this way, Felix. It makes sense, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Does it make sense? Or did you just completely trust blind faith? Does it make sense? Absolutely. He reasons about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. We might say that that's sharing the bad news in today's language. Do those three things sound familiar to you? Do they remind you of another passage somewhere else? Righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come? The Lord Jesus, speaking of the Holy Spirit, in John 16 says, When the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. 
It's the same three things. Of course, in Felix's case, sin was transferred to self-control. I mean, it, it's probably what he particularly had trouble with. But it's the same thing that the Holy Spirit is in the world convicting men of. Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Paul is co-laboring with God. The Lord is at work in Felix, and Paul is working right alongside. And we should do the same when we're working with people. It can be uncomfortable. It can be unpleasant to talk with people about that. Let's be honest. To uh, quote some of my kids, it can be awkward. <clears throat> it can. You know it can. It can be very awkward when you're sitting there and you're talking about someone's personal condition, the wrong things that, that person has done. And maybe being open and saying, I've done the same things. But at the same time, this is what God wants to show people. And so when we're doing that, we're co-laboring with the Holy Spirit. It's really exciting to be able to work alongside of God. So what exactly is Paul talking about here? Righteousness, sin, and judgment. So what is righteousness? I, I, I would say it's absolute uprightness, moral perfection. It, we're, we're talking absolutes here. It's not really, really good. It's perfect. Moral perfection. So who's righteousness? When we're talking about it that way, it's not yours or mine. It's definitely God's. And it's cool. When mere men talk about God's righteousness, their words strain under the weight of what they're trying to say. Um, I want to look at some verses from the Psalms. You can hear they're approaching it this way and that trying to just say how righteous God is and how righteous everything he does is. And they're like coming at it from this angle and from that angle. It's just so much. Listen, listen to the words. I'm not going to give the references. You can talk to me afterwards if you want the references. These are all from the Psalms. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Also, your righteousness, O God, is very high. You who have done great things, oh God, who is like you? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and your law is truth. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. We can see that the Lord is righteous. Everything that he does is righteous. So this is the standard. This is what God expects. Righteousness. 
And it's two sides of the coin. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. If he loves righteousness, the Lord is going to hate wickedness. It's the opposite. It makes sense. God cannot, and he will not tolerate anything less than righteousness, absolute righteousness. Speaking of anything less, that's the next thing Paul talks about. Righteousness, sin. Not a nice word, is it? We don't like to talk about sin nowadays. What is sin? My dad's fond of reminding us in our family that the preacher who married him liked to say that sin is going against the grain of the universe. Isn't that nice? Well, First John says that all unrighteousness is sin. There we go. Tie it back to righteousness. Anything that's not that is sin. Anything that falls short of God's perfection. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not there. It's not the absolute standard that God sets. So we talked about righteousness. We talked, we said that it's not ours, it's the Lord's. Okay, how about sin? Do we sin? I mean, that's a rhetorical question, but yeah. Are we unrighteous? Are we unrighteous? Well, God lists sins in Romans 1. Go ahead and turn there with me, please. Romans chapter 1. Should be just a few pages dear, right? <clears throat> Romans chapter 1. Let's see. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, we're looking at verse 28, speaking of sinners, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And then we start to look at sins. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. Kind of like what we just talked about. All unrighteousness is sin. It's, it's somewhat of a broad term. At least appears to me kind of broad. It talks about n not <laughs> the righteousness of God. Unrighteousness. Or just doing wrong things, period. You ever been unrighteous? I mean, you don't have to nod. <laughs> just think about it. Okay. And when I say you, obviously I mean myself also in that I see myself in most of the verses, uh, verses here. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality. Ooh, there's a big one. Sexual immorality. Obviously, definitely would apply to sex outside of marriage, but the Lord Jesus took it a step further and he said, even if you look at a woman sinfully, It's like you committed sexual immorality with her. See yourself there? Wickedness. Ooh, there's a big one. I would, I would maybe define wickedness as just evil for evil's sake. Just, just so contrary to everything that is good. Wickedness. Ever done something really bad? Maybe you know it's bad. You know it's just wrong, but you're going to do it anyway. Be honest. Again, I know I have. Wickedness. Covetousness. Right after wickedness. Interesting. Covetousness. I want that so bad. Oh, if only I could have that. It'd make me so happy. I mean, maybe it even takes the place of God. Oh, 
that, that's just like what I'm striving for. Covetousness. Lord listed as a sin. Maliciousness. Ever done something to hurt someone else? Maybe not physically, well, maybe physically, but maybe emotionally. Ever said something that you know is going to get right in between the ribs of that person? That's going to sting. Maybe it was to get back at them for something they did to you. But I want to hurt that person. Maliciousness. Doesn't even say malicious acts, by the way. It says maliciousness. Just, I want to hurt that person. Ever been there? Full of envy. Oh, man. That other person got everything that I want. Sam is just so handsome back there, and I wish I looked like him. And You know, oh. I, 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 it's almost like I hate him for looking like that. <laughs> Full of envy, though. Ever been there? Murder. Right after envy. It's interesting the sins the Lord is lumping together here. Covetousness? Murder? Ever killed anybody? No, no, no. Okay, we're all okay there? Well, the Lord does say that if you're angry with someone in your heart, it's just like you killed that person. I mean, it makes sense. The Lord doesn't say, look, okay, you can be as angry as you want to just as long as you don't kill that person. No, you don't get the seeds of it started because if I'm going to kill somebody, I'm going to be angry with them first. Don't even go the angry part of it. Ever been angry with someone? Strife. There's a big one. Kids. Ever fought with your brother or sister? Ever fought with someone else? Not, not even physically. Just, just strife. Ever been there? Yeah. I have. Deceit. That was a big one for me. We don't like to talk, oh, let's be honest, that's not one we like to talk about or confess up to. <laughs> Deceit. You know, this isn't true. It's kind of like lying, but it's, it's kind of not. It's almost like you're not saying anything. I, I want you to think something else, so I'm going to deceive you into thinking that this is really true. I'm going to trick you, even when the other is true. Ever done that? Deceit. Evil-mindedness. I'm reminded of the verse in Genesis where we read that the Lord saw that the thoughts of men's hearts were evil continually. Evil-mindedness, just thinking bad things. Impure thought life, maybe. They are whisperers. You know, I really shouldn't be telling you this, but just so you know, I, Tom's not here so I can say this. <laughs> whisperers. I'll tell you later. <clears throat> oh, wait a minute. I'm being recorded. Never mind. <clears throat> but that's right along with murder. Whisperers. So this is unrighteousness. Backbiters. You know, it's, it's kind of like whispering, but I'm doing something to hurt somebody else. Maybe they've done something good for me, but then I turn right around when they're in a defenseless, a defenseless position and I just do something to them. Ever done that? Haters of God. We will not have this man to reign over us. I don't want God running my life. 
I don't want to deal with God. He wants me to do this. He wants me to do that. Oh, I hate it. Haters of God. Violent. I'm so mad, I'm going to throw something across the room to show you just how angry I am. Proud. Look at me. Aren't I cool? Or maybe it's not even look at me. It's just the aren't I cool part of things. I'm really good. You know, aren't I that good? I wish everybody was like me. (laughs) Boasters. Well, there we go. That's kind of like the other half. And since I wish everybody was like me, I'll let you see how cool I am. Boasters. Right along with murder. Right along with sexual immorality. These are all listed together. God doesn't give degrees here. Inventors of evil things. I have this sin planned out that I'm going to do tomorrow. I know how I'm going to do it. I know when I'm going to do it. I know what I'm going to do. Inventors of evil things. Ever been there? Disobedient to parents. Everyone's been a kid at some point. Did you always do everything your parents said? Undiscerning. You know, I don't care. I really want to do this. It might be wrong. I don't really worry about it. I just want to do it. I'm not going to tell the difference. I'm not going to discern between whether it's right or whether it's wrong. I'm just going to do it. Untrustworthy. Home alone, maybe. I'm trusting you to do the right thing while I'm gone. I'm trusting you to fulfill this responsibility. Unloving. You know, I don't really care about that person. What I do might hurt that person. What I do might not be the best thing for that person, but you know, whatever. Unforgiving. You know, you really did something bad to me, and I'm going to hold that against you. I'm going to think about that. I'm going to kind of take that in my mind, and every once in a while I'm going to pull that out. Think about it. Oh, man, you just did something so unkind to me. I don't forgive you for it. I'm still mad at you for doing it to me. Ever been there? Unmerciful. You did the wrong thing, and man, you're going to pay for it. I am going to see to it that you pay for it because I am so ticked off at what you did to me. Maybe I should be kind to that person, but I'm not. I'm just, no, you're going you're gonna to get it. What do you think? You see yourself in any of these? Maybe one? Maybe two? I see myself in almost all, if not all. So we, read, we just read that God loves righteousness and hates wickedness. His standard is perfection. What does he say about these people who committed these sins? Look at the next verse. Who, these people, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but approve of those who practice them. 
Those who are disobedient to parents are deserving of death. Those who are backbiters are deserving of death. Those who are sexually immoral are deserving of death. Which leads right into the third thing Paul's talking about, the judgment to come. What is judgment? Well, in this sense, is God giving people the payment for their wickedness? Just look a few verses farther. Verse 3. Do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? You who do all those sins that we just listed, do you really think you're going to escape? I like that. Do you think this, O man, that you're going to escape the judgment of God? Do you really think? And what's the answer? What do you think? It's a question that doesn't have an answer. Do you think you're going to escape? I see some shaking heads, so I'll take that as a no. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. You're treasuring up for yourself wrath. It's like a savings account. I have my check from where I work deposited every month in my bank. It's like a savings account. You know, get more and get more. Well, those people who do such things, I guess that applies to you and me, are treasuring up for yourself wrath. Storing up not money, not something good, but God's wrath against yourself. It'll be taken out of the bank someday. We read in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. You're a salaried worker. Every time you sin, you earn your wages. And what's the wages? The wages of sin, the payment for sin, is death. It's something that I'm earning. It's fair. Let's be honest. It's right. God is righteous. God expects righteousness. Turn with me, please, to Revelation chapter 20. We talk about the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Well, we've been given a picture of that, what that is. Verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it. Who's that? Who is it? Yeah, it's God. It's the Lord Jesus. And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was no place found for them. It's kind of scary. I mean, the fact that the inanimate elements, the dirt that I just walked on today coming in from my car, that's going to flee away from the face of God because he's so scary. There's not a place I want to be. There was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. You can't get away. The heavens and the earth fleeing away, but the dead, small and great, standing before this one who's sitting on the throne. Standing before God. And books were opened. Everything that I've done. We see that later. The dead were judged according to their works. Well, it's, okay, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which are written in the books. Okay, that's fair. 
We talked about wages. The dead were judged according to what's written in the books. Okay? So what's written in your book? Not what are you going to write, but what has already been written. Think about that. Remember all those sins we were looking at? The things that they did. According to their works. So if I'm judged according to what's written in that book, we know that the judgment of God is according to righteousness. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. So no one's going to get away. Whether you die before this time or you have your ashes scattered, sea gave up the dead who were in them. Everybody. And they were judged. The Lord's stressing this. Each one according to his works. So we've seen what God expects, righteousness. We've seen sin. Then I'm going to be judged according to my works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Well, there you go. I mean, it's, as Hamilton Berger likes to say on the Perry Mason show, it's an open and shut case. It's simple. And in this case, it is. Let's look at the books. Let's look at the evidence, the body of evidence they talk about. Well, think about some of the stuff he did this morning that wasn't righteous. How about yesterday? Those are in the book. What, God's, God knows everything, so that's in there. And what's going to happen? Well, Guilty. Absolutely guilty. This is the righteous judgment of God for sin. It's righteous. Now, as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid. He was afraid. Let's be honest. It's a bad experience being afraid. It's not fun. But it's what it takes. We sing Amazing Grace. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. Grace. Grace taught me to fear? Yes. It's through the Lord's grace that I see this in the first place because it leads to salvation. It's through the grace of the Lord that we fear. And grace, my fear relieved. Yeah, that's coming. But it, what's important right now is that grace taught my heart to fear. There's something to be scared about. Felix was afraid. Are you afraid? He understands God's righteousness. He sees that he's a sinner, and he's afraid of God's judgment on himself. I'll bet he's thinking about specific sins that he committed, maybe wrong judgments that he's handed down in his time as governor, his own immorality that we know about, Maybe some of those assassinations that he ordered. This guy is so much farther along than most unsaved people, if you think about it. He's, he's not just interested. He's not just, oh, cool, let's hear more about this. This guy's convicted of sin. I mean, wow. He's really far along. The Holy Spirit is at work in his heart. Paul, as we can see, has been an effective co-laborer with God. He's been working right alongside of God. 
and Felix is convicted of sin. This is an important moment for Felix. Very important moment. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, In an acceptable time, I have heard you. This is the Lord talking. And in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, this moment. Now. He sees his own sin clearly, and now he needs to decide what to do. Now is the day of salvation. It's not later. He has today for sure. He has no idea what's going to happen in the future. He puts this off. Now is the time. Make the decision. Now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 3 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today, if you will hear his voice. Now. It's not time later. It's right now. Take care of it now. Don't wait. Hear his voice. God's calling Felix today. Felix needs to respond. Today, if you will hear his voice, the Lord is unquestionably talking to Felix right now. Okay, so what does he say? Back in Acts 24, Felix answered, Go away for now. When I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Dude, go away? That's the exact wrong response. Today, if you will hear his voice, well, I won't hear his voice today. Now is the day of salvation. No, it's not. It's not now. When I have a convenient time. Later. Some other time. Inconvenient. It's inconvenient to talk about this. It sounds crazy. I mean, hello? It's inconvenient to talk about your soul. People do it all the time. You know, not at this stage of my life. I'm young. I'm just not ready. I'll be ready later. Look, I'm not saying no. I'm not saying no. I'm just saying not now. It's okay. I'll just put it off. I'll make a decision about it later. Felix isn't saying no, you'll notice. Felix doesn't say, I reject that. What's he saying? Let's pick up this conversation another time, huh? Later. I still want to run my own life. I'm not ready yet. I want to have a good time. I want to sow some wild oats before I die. I want to have some fun. I'll think about that kind of thing later. I don't want to deal with it right now. It's not a good time for me. Maybe you're young. Teenager. Come on. I'm still a teenager. I've got plenty of time. I'll think about that later. I'm, come on, give me a break. I'm still young. Maybe when I get to college, you know, I really start to explore deeper matters. At 20. No, I'm too busy in college. Um, I got papers due. I got friendships to keep up. I'm having fun. Okay, I know God's going to ruin the fun. He's doing some stuff that he doesn't like, and I want to have some fun. I'll take care. I'll do it later. After I get out of college, have my fun in college. Then I'll, you know, I'll repent of everything. I'll say it was wrong, and I'll, I'll get back on track. I'll, I'll take care of it later, just not now. Whoa, I got a job. Oh, man, you know all the responsibility that comes with a job? I haven't got time for this. I got a family to take care of. Not now. Later. You know, when I'm retired, okay? Then, then I'll think about that. Then I'll take care of it when I'm retired. I haven't got time now. Oh, man, it's so nice to be retired. 
done with all the work, got a pension, I'm good to go. I'm going to have some fun. I don't want to think about spiritual things right now. I'm finally free. I'm going to relax. I'm going to have a good time. I'll think about it before I die. Yeah. And then finally that person's dead and it's too late. Not now. Later. Later. Right. It's like a man being shown the results of a test. The guy has cancer. Oh, don't show me that. I don't want to see that I have cancer. I got other things that I want to do. I want to have fun. You know, I have cancer. That's going to require treatments. It's hard. You know, chemotherapy, radiation treatment. That, that, that's awful. I don't want to go through that right now. Don't, take that away. I, I don't want to talk about the fact that I have cancer. Why? What good does that do? What good does it do to put it off? Does it change the reality of the situation? But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath. Felix has put himself in a scary situation. He's getting practice pushing God off. Have you ever been in a room with a ticking clock? And you hear that clock ticking. Maybe you're doing some studying in the room. And then you notice, did that clock stop? I have actually, I have been in the, in the position of completely not hearing that clock. And I'm, I'm looking around, I'm like, is the clock still here? Oh, there it is. I know it's ticking. I can't hear it. You, you, you ever been through that before? You know what I'm talking about. Getting used to something. You get used to the sound. And pretty soon, don't even hear it. Today, if you will hear his voice, why? Because you might not hear his voice later. Can you hear God's voice now, Felix? Can you hear God's voice now? If you can hear it, great. Don't get in the position where you can't hear it anymore. Today, if you will hear his voice. Unfortunately, Felix procrastinated. Later. I'll, I'll listen later. I don't want to think about it now. Therefore, he sent for Paul more often and conversed with him. But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. The last of Felix. I, I'm, I'm sure that he stopped hearing God's voice eventually. Why? Because he sent for Paul more often. Do you think he's going to keep sending for Paul if Paul makes him afraid? Do you think he wants to be scared? No. He didn't hear it anymore. Okay, Paul, that's nice. Cool. Yeah, okay. Talks to him more often. Maybe he enjoys Paul's company, but at that point, it's too late. He can't hear the clock ticking anymore. Today, if you will hear his voice, well, that was said to Felix a while ago, and it's not today anymore for him. He wouldn't hear God's voice. And no longer was it the day of salvation. And when it's a more convenient time, well, you know what? That time never came. It was never a convenient time in his life to come to Christ. The guy still had sin, just like the man with the cancer slide. He still has sin. He's still under judgment. It didn't change anything. But he didn't hear the voice anymore. 
And he probably wouldn't think about it again until after he died. Oh, he would think about it after he died, I'll promise you. He'd hear that clock ticking loud and clear. But at that point, it's too late. It is appointed to men once to die, and after this, the judgment. Then you got the judgment, and it's too late. Has God spoken to you in the past? Maybe you put him off like Felix. Felix is dead. You're not. It's not too late. It's still today. Look, it's July 3rd, 2011. You have today for sure. Today, if you will hear his voice, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you do offer this salvation. Lord, that you and your righteousness would look on a sinner such as myself, Lord. Sinners such as each one of us is. That you would extend that offer of salvation to us. It's incredible. But Lord, what's even more incredible is that we would put you off. Lord, I pray for anyone here who hears your voice right now, Lord, that they wouldn't put it off, Lord, that they wouldn't wait for a more convenient time, Lord, but that they would choose now, Lord, that now would be the day of salvation. We pray these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.